Lockdown Bears fans still reflecting on what we saw on another episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears ESPN insider Courtney Cronin with us yet again, as always, on a Tuesday. Courtney, it's not pretty. It's not pretty and Bears fans are upset. I, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 48 hours after the fallout continues from this loss. And I don't, honestly... I don't I don't know if it would have dissipated much had the really unfortunate timing of the Aaron Rodgers injury happened on Monday night. We might still be going vitriol at full force from this fan base had that not happened to take our attention away from it momentarily. But even this morning on September 12th, two days after this game, my Twitter mentions are a cesspool. Yeah, it's, they want it's- everybody fired. <laughs> that that's my oh my god i love the nfl season for one reason depending on what you do that week mm-hmm. everyone's either fired or you have to give them all raises so we got to break down what we saw i mean listen we're going to go through pretty much I, I i've talked about this a couple of times but the importance of the preparation that preseason gets into want to get into that rogers of course we got to talk about that i mean seeing him go down yesterday after three plays four plays was was insane uh want to talk about a little bit of an injury where we at kind of with the injury situation on some of the guys on this team and of course listen somebody's got to get into it Yurko was on fire the other day. Uh, uh, I think Kyle Brandt even was a little bit on fire the other day. Chase Claypool, as somebody who uh, was excited for you coming here and defended you, what the heck's going on? Uh, We got to get into all that more on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, drop a bear down and leave a five-star review. You know what to do. Let's jump into the show. As this first quarter brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino of Northern Indiana, uh, see Sticks on October 13th at Hard Rock Live. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Courtney, the preparation of this team just seemed horrible. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I, I have called this, uh, I, I've dubbed the first game a cavalcade of trash. Uh, it's pretty much <laughs> what we saw coming out of that game. And I think the question that's been asked over and over again, and I think this stems further than just the Bears, but because the Bears are our team, we have to you know, focus on them with it. But how important is the preseason realistically, and how does this team feel the importance of the preseason is realistically now after the debacle that we saw on Sunday? We heard a lot on Sunday of the hindsight thinking of, man – for a lot of teams, it would have been great had we had our starters play in the preseason and when teams had the opportunity to do so, they didn't. Um, a lot of that just ends up being what you see in week one, which is a lot of rust. And that's that's the case every year. Frankly, when we were at a 16-game schedule a couple of years ago, usually you could pencil in that the first quarter of the season, those first four games, the first yeah. month more or less, and this is probably going to be no different – doesn't look great. I mean, yeah, you get a couple good games here and there. What was it a couple years ago? Like Rams Chiefs. That was awesome. Um, That was like one of the few good games you can remember from like the early part of the season. But, you know, this is this is what happens when you have actual opponents to game plan for. So while the preseason excuse is not a throwaway excuse, I don't think it's going to change anybody's thinking for the following season. Like I heard Nick Sirianni say this after beating the Patriots the other day that he wished he could have get gotten his starters more play in the preseason. He felt they were, you know, they were a little rusty and you know, how much of that is rust versus, you know, Bill Belichick had months and months and months to prepare for you. 
um, and is one of the greatest defensive minds of NFL in NFL history, certainly of this generation, that that might have been more at, more at play here than the team not playing Jalen Hurts and all that. And the same thing goes for the Bears. I know what Matt Eberflus said yesterday about the preseason, and you know, is it an excuse? Yeah. Does it have some validity? Sure. Because you go look at a number of different areas. Of course, the offensive line is getting a ton of ton of heat because they were terrible. And frankly, the parts that were the most terrible were the center position and then at right guard. And we know Nate Davis was MIA from a lot of practice during the preseason. And Lucas Patrick was MIA early on. And then, you know, has to play because Cody Whitehair ends up hurting his finger. And then he gets moved over and Lucas is in at center. And, you know, I don't know if I don't, I don't really buy it if they would have been any better had they practiced in the preseason, like, because the level of play you're getting at those positions, especially those two that I just pointed out, I don't think anybody's pounding the table saying Lucas Patrick is, you know, a great center. Is he a good backup right now? He doesn't even look like that. So if, if they would have gotten a little bit more time in the preseason, would it have helped? I don't know. It just feels kind of like a convenient excuse while there is some truth to it that, you know, this unit could have been better had that happened. Of course, we've all seen the screenshot floating around where, on one play, I think it was in the second half, four of Justin's five offensive linemen in front of him are facing him. Yeah. Uh, that's never a good sign. I don't, you know, preseason or not, that should never happen. But yeah, I, I addressed that one on on uh, Twitter and all the socials yesterday. I didn't put it on YouTube, but like that play is Justin's pick. Mm-hmm. That, Justin had time on that one because that's a late throw. Justin, and so, but I mean, under any other circumstances, yeah. like. Yeah. Something like that happens. The problem is we saw that 42% of the rest of the time. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, this, I mean, and I know the offensive line becomes its own conversation at some point, but you know, the idea of them not playing starters in the preseason, will that change going forward? I mean, they were, they were pretty injured throughout and they were trying to play it safe, which I can understand, but the area outside of the offensive line where that probably affects things the most is the defensive line because I remember having a conversation with Demarcus Walker about this after the game. Like they pressured Love on they got six pressures on him. Yep. They blitzed him 16%, 17% of the time. Like they could not pressure the quarterback, but like let's start up front. That unit has three new starters between Ngakwe, Walker, and Andrew Billings. And then there's new personnel with Rasheem Green and then the two rookie defensive tackles. That's six of eight players that are brand new to this defense. And could they have benefited from more reps in the preseason? Sure. The only way you get better at football is by practicing football and playing and playing and playing and repping it till till you can't rep it again. But that's just never going to be a realistic thing. So we hear that like, oh man, do you wish you had played more in the preseason? Yeah. Come to think of it, you know, that would have been much better. Like, is it going to actually change anything or is that all lip service? Because I think it's a convenient way to deflect off of the idea that they weren't ready to play, which they maintain that they were. It's just, oh, look, well, sorry. Like we were ready to play, but look, our starters, they haven't had time to gel, like, you know, continuity on the offensive line, uh, chemistry with your rush plan. Like, honestly, that stuff only goes so far as being a valid excuse for the lack of, like, the, just the poor play that we saw. And, and I think that's, listen, preseason's going to die. 
Like people, people have like training camp is still going to be there. I think you're going to see joint practices, but preseason is going to get to a point where it's all about filling out your last 10 spots on your roster. It's already been there though. And, like, and, and, we've already shortened it by one game. Who's right. to say it doesn't get shortened by another game at some point. Teens coming. I know people want to like push back on the and, and NFL player safety and all that. In the NFL week 18's coming. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're going to get to a point where literally we're gonna talk about the first two games of the season, first three games of the season. Like we talk about college football games. Hey, guess what? You know, nobody's really playing until week four. Nobody's really in there until, because there's so many times now where yes, the and I think the Packers did treat this like a rivalry game, but realistically you're at a point where the Bears basically were like, we're not hits principle. We're not playing anybody, even if they're hustling. If they're hustling intensely, yeah, they came up a little gimpy. Nobody's going to play. Any injury you have, you're out. And so we had, what was it, 21 players not playing in preseason at one point? Like, realistically, that's always going to be a recipe for you to struggle in Mm -hmm. week one. I think a lot of Bears fans just thought all the chips were stacked against the Packers. But on the flip side, right, when you look on the other side of that, the Packers did play in preseason. Jordan Love got a ton of reps. Yep. Looked like he was a little bit I'm not not to say he looked great, but he looked like he was more prepared for what he was seeing on the other side of him, whether that goes the preseason or proper planning though. I think that's the question that really needs to be laid out because Luke Getzey's game plan to me spoke to a Packers team that was here last year, not the defense that it seems like Joe Barry might actually have finally figured out. You know, when Justin told us on Sunday that, you know, the game plan called for a lot of vertical passes, the the screen game, it's there's like, you know, the term double edged sword. Like think of something, think of an object that like every side of it is sharp, not just that one that has two sides to it that has like 10 sides to it, because that's how you have to view like the conundrum here. So for if you look at it, in this way, okay, Luke Getzey's like, if you want to like fault, like who's to blame, Getzey or Fields? So let's start with Getzey. All right, well, if he dialed up all these screen passes, how come he didn't help his quarterback downfield? If you're looking at it through that lens, you have to ask yourself, what did he think that Fields could do with this, with this game plan? Why was he calling that? Well, they have a very good defensive line. You and I talked about that when we were going through the positions that had the edge. In yeah. hindsight, we probably could add a couple more of that. Certainly their running game has the edge, which I know that we had. Um, I think you and I both had that in their D-line running game, but <laughs> clearly have the quarterback edge too. But if you're Luke Getzey and you look at this, you're like, okay, Kenny Clark, all these dudes who are really good, they're going to not just hurt and, you know, try to like, you know, hinder Darnell Wright from having a good day. He knows the strength of his offensive line. He knew that that was probably going to happen. Get the ball out quick because you know what? If you don't ask your offensive lineman to block that long because the quarterback's able to drop back and dump off a quick pass, you're helping the offensive line in with fields, which we've been told repeatedly, he can get the ball out more quickly than he did last year. He can, you know, because that's, that's, you know, those, those reads, the hot reads, all things like that, that requires the quarterback to drop back and know immediately where he's going. And that was supposed to help the offensive line. But when you have a quarterback 
who, you know, at that point too, he's running for his life. He's getting hit a whole ton. He's holding onto the ball too long. And that play that you and I were just talking about, which was not a screen pass. That was the the cover two look that he saw that he was a tad late on that throw that Quay Walker picked off and returned for a touchdown. Like, it, all those things factor into why the game plan failed. It's not just, oh, Luke Getzey called a bunch of screen passes um, and they went nowhere. That's part of it, but it's not everything because the blame can be equally as pl- placed equally on Justin Fields as it can the offensive line, as it can some of the receivers not getting to open downfield, as it can on Luke Getzey not giving DJ Moore any opportunity to get involved in the game. But I, 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 I know that this is going to be talked about a lot. I know the offensive line is a significant issue here in what Luke Getze can call going forward because it all starts with protections because this everything has to be timed up so your receivers can get open and you can hit them in stride. Like That's a problem. But to me, the bigger problem is this defensive line, and it's a scheme thing. I know that they, these guys talked about not playing together in the preseason, but I looked back at – the film I, I did a I did a rewatch this morning and I thought back to you know this cover two scheme that they run if, if you want to pressure the quarterback you got to have some dogs up front yeah when Alan Williams was in Minnesota and he was running this I think that this is just kind of like dedication and maybe a lack of you know a lack of wanting to change like when he was in Minnesota in 2012, 2013, when he was a DC there and he's running this, you know what his defensive line was? Jared Allen, Kevin Williams, Brian Robison, Chad Greenway was on this team. Like you had some dogs up front. You had, point. <laughs> you, you had people who could actually get after the passer. Like, yeah. pe- like you, had, you, had, you had a better caliber of athlete and better caliber of player. And that's no knock on what you have up front, but you don't have that now. You are not adjusting your scheme to the personnel. You're saying, we made this work elsewhere. We can make it work here. It is, it is hard as hell to get pressure with a traditional four, you know, four down front, like four down linemen. It is so hard to do that unless you have superstar pass rushers, guys who don't need the help of other positions to generate pressure. The bears do not have that yet. This is the same thing that they've been trying to force through now for more than a year, realizing that yes, the personnel has changed, but it really hasn't changed that much to where this scheme is applicable because it's predictable and it's frankly not working with this group that they have. I see the only thing I would push back on, right, is Yannick is supposed to be that superstar pass rusher, and he has been in his career. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to – to me, the issue that I have with what how Allen Williams drew things up is that there was nothing that helped Yannick. The one time where I, I really looked at and, and you saw him kind of do something a little bit different was the one sack that they got on Jordan Love where Yannick Ngakwe comes back out, gets around, and is able to make a play and, and lays into Jordan Love. Like, I just I, – I looked at – when I looked at this tape, and, and it's so funny to me, every time they did the one thing that all Bears fans this week are going, why didn't they do that more? <laughs> Positive things happen. You get the sack. Uh, I wanted to see the the linebackers coming downhill a little bit more. Uh, the few times that they did that, Tremaine Edmonds looks like a superstar. He's in the backfield killing somebody's running back, right? Uh, the, the one time that – or one of the four times that they decide to throw the football 
more than 10 yards forward, uh, you you complete three of them and, and one goes for a, a touchdown to Darnell Mooney, right? Like, it's just like, hey, you guys saw this. You need to adjust your plan. And, and we'll get more into the scheme to the scheme of things and, and kind of what we wanted to see more on the scheme side. But it's just one of those things where it was like, like you said, they were so locked in. And I swear that they prepared for the Packers team that we had saw last season. And that's the one concern that I do have right now with the coaching staff moving forward. Listen, it's week one. Week one by week 16 usually means nothing. Uh, Two of the teams that were in the title games last year lost week one. I'm not saying the Bears are going to be there, but like, like we see that. But it's one of those things where the mindset that your coaches came into this game with, to me, while the players were very unprepared, your coaches were the most unprepared people that I saw in that field the other day. And they had nothing to do, or they had no way to uh, uh, um, adjust to what the Packers brought. Yeah, and that's, like, is it coaching malpractice to not adjust? I mean, what, what did the Packers do in the second half? They got Aaron Jones involved. I mean, Jordan Love in the first half had, at one point, had a sub-50% completion percentage, and he was overthrowing guys. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, I mean, he's got a very strong arm, but um, once they made the adjustment to bring Aaron Jones into the passing game, that screen that went for, you know, 40-plus yards, like – that's the stuff that the Bears didn't have a counter to. And yeah. that's unfortunate for them because the Packers looked like they had outclassed and outcoached the other coaching staff in Chicago. Yeah. And they didn't have an answer for it. Yeah, that's a concern. That's a concern. Let's head into the second quarter. We're going to get more into the scheme. Uh, and also want to talk about Justin Fields dropping an apology to Bears fans. What do we think about that? Uh, but first, I do want to talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation that happened with the Jets. I know that's a taboo name to bring to this <laughs> podcast um, because of what he's done to us. But one of two things here. One, for me, seeing Rodgers go down, I – I need people to understand this. As a Bears fan, I've grown up. I've seen nothing but Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I hate Aaron Rodgers. I felt bad for Aaron Rodgers. Some of the stuff that I saw yesterday on Twitter from Packers fans who he brought a Super Bowl and multiple MVPs is an absolute joke. I, I they, like You might as well be Raptors fans at that point with how cheering on an injury is crazy to me. But I mean, honestly. That's, that's insane. Like the stuff that I was seeing from like the Green Bay side of things, like, you know, and these are fans. Obviously, fans are emotional. Fans have volatile responses to things of, man, now we're only going to get a second round pick versus a, you know, the conditional second that's was supposed to turn into a first because we had thought he was going to play more than 60% of snaps. No one thought he was going to rupture his Achilles on the fourth play of the freaking game. Yeah. Like, come on, guys, like, and gals, just stop. It's, it drives me nuts because you should never want to see that happen. And I know that the Jets hype has been forced down our throats for months. We have been told by the NFL, they paid for you know hard knocks. They did all stuff. They told us consume this. This is part of what we of the fabric of the 2023 season because Aaron Rodgers, you know, creates them a lot of money and he drives the headlines. But and I, I can understand some Bears fan, not Bears fan, I can understand like any fan that's not a Jets fan getting upset about that and saying, you know, to hell with the Jets. Like, I don't want to pay attention to this, but Aaron Rodgers, I, I feel for him in this moment more just, you know, obviously a situation like that is brutal, but like you saw the best version 
Like take your emotion aside, like out of it from being a Bears fan. You saw the best version of Aaron Rodgers where he was locked in, where he was ready to go, that this team that was built around him, the Jets might finally be able to do something, 12-year playoff drought, all of that, and then to watch him get carted off. And then you know in that moment, like it when he, you know, when he's got the walking boot on and he gets on the cart to go back to the locker room or to go to get the uh, X-ray at that point. I thought it was a high ankle till then. Yeah, I did too. But then watching it back, like I was like, okay, you see the pop and that mm, that messed me up watching that. It, it sucks, man. And and it's one of those things for me where that's a that's probably unless he just fights his way back, that's probably the last we see of Aaron Rodgers. And that's honestly, like, that was a sobering moment to realize. He's going to be 40 years old next year. Um, I think December is his birthday. Does he want to go through it? In Achilles rehab, oh, my God, that is – like, when that thing snaps, your leg kind of – the the muscle behind the calf. Remember, this is the same calf that he injured. Um, From my understanding, it it, kind of becomes an accordion. And – like the way that like, you know, that's why they had to stabilize it in the boot. It basically, you know, kind of like just gives you something that you can walk because the thing is floating around back there. They have to reattach it to the bone to go through that surgery and then to come back. Like this could change the landscape of the NFL. And I know that that sounds like a pretty significant thing to say, but I really believe that because we know that Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, like the NFL is better with him in it. And we haven't seen the NFL without Aaron Rodgers in it since before, you know, before he really started playing, like, you know, the late 2000s. And it, it's just a weird feeling that all of that, like it will be one of the, if he retires, decides he can't do it anymore. Like, can you imagine the 30 for 30 on that? Mm. It's gonna it's gonna start with that scene of him coming out with the flag last night, which was such yeah. a cool intro, and it's gonna end with him on the, it's gonna quickly cut to him on the cart. Like it gives you goosebumps thinking about the fragility of this game. And I know there's been a lot brought into the turf, and of course the turf sucks. I soccer soccer the- players just have a better union than the NFLPA because <gasps> it's such a it's such a like they won't put up with this shit of playing on turf. That's the reason that when the World Cup comes here, like all these stadiums are getting turf out and bringing grass in. Yeah. Like how the problem is, and this is going, this is my old existential thing. The problem is when the NFLPA, like when, you know, kind of basically accepted injuries are part of the game instead of injury prevention. That's what brought us to this point where we have a situation like this and it's like, there were ways to prevent this. And I'm not saying that this couldn't have happened on grass either. He already had a calf injury from like, but nothing happened. He didn't miss time because of it. It's just, it's just unfortunate. Like you don't, if it was, if it was Aaron Rodgers, if it was Patrick Mahomes, if it was DeMar Hamlin, like you don't want to see catastrophic injury situations, take a player away from playing the game because that just brings your football mortality like this far from your face. And it sucks because the game is better when great players are playing in it. And the game is better when those great players are irritating another franchise because their greatness is something that another franchise can't top. Like this is good for the fabric of the sport, him not in football. Like I can't even bring myself to think about like what that's like just yet, because it feels like it's just whiplash. You we're preparing for the season where the Jets were going to be relevant and potentially win the AFC East. And then all of a sudden you blink yeah. and the guy's gone. 
it's it's just it's it reminds you that the NFL is a violent sport. Lance said yeah. this yesterday. Like the and at the at the snap of a finger, it can be gone. It it really puts you in the mindset of okay, this is what the players think. This is why the players do the things that they do the way that they do. This is why Chris Jones holds out for the contract mm-hmm. that he wants to get. This is why Brian Burns holds in. Right, like this is why guys do this because in a snap of a in, in an instant, it can yeah. all be gone. Right now, Aaron Rodgers' career might be over. And for me, it's just like thinking of it from the aspect of if somebody takes your dream away in a second. This is a dream moment for Aaron Rodgers, proving that he was going to take another franchise to the Super Bowl, finally being free of whatever he felt was oppressing him in Green Bay <laughs> and and being able to go out there with the team that had everything ready made and go out there and do the things that Tom Brady did. Yeah. Guess what? Everybody's not Tom Brady. It it, it it's it's it sucks at the end of the day, but. The biggest thing to that that I took away from yesterday is the NFL is an absolute machine, and you just saw everybody go, "Okay, move on, move on." Yep. I mean, the next man up thing with Zach Wilson. Apparently, that's going to be the guy they're rolling with, and I know that they've, you know, made some. They said they've made some calls, or like the reports say they've made some calls to some quarterbacks. They need more quarterback. They need another veteran in there because Tim Boyle, I think, is on the practice squad. But I. I, I this will be a big moment to see because they tailored that offense to Aaron Rodgers. Now they've got to tailor it back to Zach Wilson. Can they capitalize off of the changes that they made this offseason and capitalize on this defense that's really freaking good and just, you know, lean on the areas you can lean on and hopefully get by at quarterback because they built this team for Aaron Rodgers. Like they really did from the play caller down to you know, bringing all his guys in from Green Bay. The fact that he's not going to be playing this year, it's a gut punch. And it's just, it's honestly so unfortunate that it came to this. And I was really hoping, I was hoping high ankle sprain, because that's a couple weeks. You can get tightrope surgery, like even a broken foot. Um, I know there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Twitter doctors out there, broken ankle, whatever it could have been, would have been better than Achilles. Like think about how long it took Kevin Durant to come back from his. And yeah. He has not been the same player since and, for and, a multitude of reasons, but like injury wise, <laughs> it's, it's, set, it's set his career back too. It's just, it's uh, such an unfortunate injury. It's one of those injuries that like, that's the one that starts you down that path, right? Like realistically, I think the worst we've seen Aaron Rodgers have was what? He had a broken leg, right? He had the, bro- the broken collarbone that knocked broken him out at 17. But th- it's not one of those where it's like, okay, this is a ligament. This is something that, like, like I feel like these are the injuries where it starts to send you down the, mm-hmm. you try to come back, it's not going to go the way that you think. And not is. many people do that at 40 years old. You know what I mean? Kevin Durant was, what, 30? 33. When that happened, and, and mm-hmm. he's come back, and, yeah, he's still elite. But even with a Kevin Durant, right, we've seen him have injury issues every single year outside of that your body has to compensate for what once was there that is not the same so i wish the best for rodgers i i know that sounds crazy coming from a bears fan but this is not just uh, there's a human element and i've done that a ton this week right like when i'm standing next to j mac when i'm standing next to to lance briggs there these guys are people at the end of the day and there's a human element that comes in no matter what i think of them as a player He's elite. He kicked the crap out of my team for 20 years, basically. But I, I don't want to see him go out like that. Let's get back on some bears. Uh, that's a that's a tough one to segue from. Let's jump into the third quarter here, though, because, uh, I mean, listen, we got to finish this out. 
or jump, not finish this out, but jump into, you know, I thought the scheme conversation was really good. What adjustments realistically is this team planning on making? Because the one thing that I heard from Matt Eberflus uh, Monday after the game is that, yeah, we fixed it. That's the wildest thing to hear on a Monday after the game when you haven't done anything yet. Yeah, we, we got in the room. We saw the things that we had going on. Yeah, all good. Everything's fine. We know exactly what we did wrong. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that's um, – Jalen Johnson echoed it. Like, yeah, we came – because everything, when you can point it out and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what I did wrong here. Got it. Storing it in my mental bank. Like, they're always going to say that, but I do – you know, I, I thought back to what uh, Flew said on Cap and Chud, and I'm going to try to pull it up here. So I was really impressed by the way that, like, Cap kept pushing him on the DJ Moore thing because you talked scheme it. adjustments. Like, I love it. I'm sorry. I know that Justin was making a ton of sense when he said, you know, when you're in third and 15 or, like, second and 20 because of all these penalties, but also, like, you know, some of those third, second and long, third and long things were brought up because they, they struggled to move the ball penalty or not like it shrinks your yeah. playbook, but it brought me back to a place when I covered Minnesota and Kirk cousins, like Justin Fields is a risk averse quarterback. I know that Lance has talked about that. We talked about it on the pregame show on Sunday and Kirk for the early part of his career granted under a different offense um, before Kevin O'Connell got there, like, he wouldn't throw the ball and just trust that Justin Jefferson would go get it. And eventually he gets into that mode. The scheme helps. Obviously, right. when they there's play action, they're rolling him away from pressure and he can, you know, do the things he does with bootlegs. Like that's it. but I say this to say, sometimes you gotta force the ball to your best player. And you have to have plays. Like, and look at what happened last year with Justin Jefferson, you know winning offensive player of the year because of what the, the game plan called for, for Kirk to target his best receiver. Look at Josh Allen last night, Pat. Like, what was he doing in the fourth quarter? He was looking for digs. He was looking for digs again and again and again and again. Now, Josh, issue- Josh Allen's a little different because if it's a five-yard pass or a 40-yard pass, he's throwing a full-on Kamehameha wave no matter what. Like, that, I was and watching I- him like, Look. Jesus. Like, and I, and I, there's a lot wrong with what happened in Buffalo last night, but it doesn't take away from the fact that when your best players on the field with you target him, I don't want to hear the, nobody wants to hear the excuse of, oh, well, you know, all these other factors like factored into why DJ had two targets that has to be, that has to be, that cannot be. That's one of the biggest red flags that I wrote about this today at ESPN.com. It's one of the biggest red flags that came away from yesterday and what he said in the press conference I thought was one thing but I really you know when 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 Pat pushed him on like okay like what's the rationale behind the lack of targets and you know the Jair Alexander thing because he said it, he thought it was some things that Green Bay did yeah that's, of course but DJ Moore is a great receiver he's going to face your team your opponent's best cornerback what's next? Mistaken, like what's your excuse you're going to use if I'm not mistaken didn't he put up 131 yards on Jair Alexander yeah it's it's he had a history there like all that stuff but like it said, we have our, he said, we have our opportunities. We just didn't seize these opportunities. We're going to obviously target him and put him in position. He's one of the best players on our roster. So then cap followed up. Who's most responsible for that. Is it fields execution or the plan? He said, he thinks both of those. Um, And he kind of danced around this answer, but like when you're talking about like 
taking shots downfield, like that you have to take shots downfield. And then yesterday, like that was, you know, after he makes those comments, about it during his press conference. Um, I thought that like really important stuff when you have Justin Fields unable to like scan the field properly and make reads, that's something like he's got to be keeping his eyes downfield. That's what Eberflus was talking about. And of course, that feeds into like the speculate, like not speculation, but just more the okay, is this same old, same old? He's looking down at the rush. He is reverting to tuck and run habits out of necessity, but also out of what he knows and what a habit he can't break. Because of course there were times that called for that, that would have taken away those opportunities for DJ Moore downfield. But when you have four passes that yeah. go 10 plus yards, there's something fundamentally wrong with what you're dialing up. And Last I checked, DJ Moore took those two targets for 25 yards. Then all of a sudden, when they're almost in the red zone, he's out of the game. He goes to the sideline for a play. We never yeah. really got clarity on that. So I, it was bizarre. It was baffling to me. It's baffling to anybody who watched. And that's got to be like thing number one that Luke Getze has to figure out this week. Yeah, and I, I think the, the, the part that was most interesting to me is that, right, of course, listen, I get it. There's times where guys on the other side of the field are going to make it tough to get the ball to a guy. But mm-hmm. when we're talking about your top wide receivers in the league, who are we talking about that doesn't get double teamed? I think me and you both agree. DJ Moore, probably 16th best receiver, right outside that top 20, right? But when you look at a Jalen Waddle, Amon Ra, DK, Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson had Zach Wilson in the game and they were double teaming Garrett Wilson at times. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, like, hey, guess what? They double team guys. I don't know if like this is a confusing concept for coaches, but like players get double teamed. Now that also goes to, like you said, with Justin Fields, you got to be willing to pull the trigger on those shots, but I can't kill you for not taking a ton of shots downfield when it seemed like, and Justin cooperated this right where the offensive game plan was East and West. We're going to throw it, throw it to the right. We're going to throw it to the left. We're going to keep things short, keep them close to the line of scrimmage. Even when you were throwing it forward, right? It's because you're in shotgun. You're already so far back. It's still behind the line of scrimmage. I just, I, I, everybody has fault in this. I'm not taking fault off of Justin Fields. There was a couple of times where I saw, right? Darnell Mooney coming across. You got to pull the trigger on that. Uh, DJ Moore downfield. You got to pull the trigger on that. Those are the things that we saw in practice that you were willing to pull the trigger on that you're not willing to do now. Mm-hmm. But I swear we didn't see this many screen passes in training camp the entire oh, time. We, we saw a lot of them. And I remember <laughs> there were moments where it's like, okay, this is a good fail safe because they didn't have this element. Of, they, they were one of the worst wide receiver screen teams last year they didn't throw a lot of screens to the running backs they didn't get the running backs involved in the pass game really until like later on in the season and we knew that it was something they wanted to work on and I remember early on like even like in late like July early August we start seeing it okay it's popping up more it's popping up more it felt at times like it was becoming their offensive identity that cannot be how you win football games just like checking down um like I get why they were doing it because they wanted fields to not take a sack for like a 10 yard loss and all of these things that had happened last year. They want to protect the quarterback. They want to, you know, don't be a hero, check the ball down. Like if the play is not there, check it down because it's, it's a safer play to do that than any of the other options. But 
even with the deep ball game, like there were there were moments where like he's missing guys downfield on on deep balls, and we've heard like how good of a deep ball passer the Bears think he is, and there were moments where it worked and where it didn't. But I to 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 see none of that in this game, more or less, like outside of a couple of plays. the The longest play they had yet last on Sunday was a twenty six yard run from Roshan Johnson. Second yep. longest play, or third longest play, was that twenty yard touchdown by Darnell Mooney. Like, and that was, it was, I just, that, that to me was such a bizarre way to go into this. And then for field to say, well, that was the game plan. I understand why I understand that they like, that should tell you like that comment right there tells you everything you need to know. The bears do not trust this offensive line. They do not think this offensive line is very good because if you're calling for a ton of screens, it's because it doesn't require the offensive line to block that long because you're worried about what happens if they have to block for four, five seconds, which of course is a very long time, but they want the extended time away, get the quarterback to throw the ball quickly because that like, it just it's the whole chicken and egg ar- argument. Like, what are you more stressed about? What comes first in the equation? Is it the pre- pass protection or is it the quarterback? And I I frankly think it's it's all up on the offensive line that they do not trust that unit because of a number of different things. We could bring this full circle and say, oh, it's because they didn't play in the preseason. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I don't know if this offensive line is very good. I really don't because at this rate. Fields is going to be hurt by ha- like midway point in the season. You hope it doesn't happen, but if he's taking hits like that and if he's running for his life, we saw this happen last year in Atlanta. Like this is not a situation that you feel good about if you're the Bears because this pass protection doesn't look any better than it did a year ago. Like it just doesn't. I, I what we saw on in the second half on Sunday was more alarming to me than the first half on Sunday by far. I get it, the feeling I'll process all of that. But what we saw in the second half on Sunday, coaching-wise, was to me similar, if not the same to, with less sacks, what we saw from Matt Nagy versus Cleveland. Just an unwillingness to change what you had. The offensive line didn't look good in the first half. So, okay, what are we going to do in the second half to try and make things better? Hey, you went up out there and picked up uh, extra tight ends that are pretty good at blocking, right? Like, you you can go max protect. Maybe there's something you can do to help this offensive line in the slightest. Yes. I will say uh, the, the Tunyon injury, Tunyon. maybe he shouldn't have. Like, that one was yeah. a little strange. He was like in there for four snaps, and then we know he got downgraded on Saturday to questionable yeah. with a back injury. I think that plays into it, um, you know, and a – I love all the people now coming out about EQ of, wow, he was such a great run blocker. Why didn't they have him active? These are the same people who said he should have been cut. And, you know, that, that is an interesting choice. And I would love to, you know, that one might come up when, when you, if they run into the same issues where there's a blocking problem. Because, yeah. um, I mean, in not just the pass game, but, like, this was a running, this was a rushing team last year that was the best in the NFL. Of course, the quarterback played a huge role in that, but – they did not look good running the ball. I mean, I, take the garbage time stuff out of it with Roshan Johnson. They did not look good running the ball either. They weren't very efficient. And that's concerning too. I think we saw, remember, remember, me and you have both talked about Roshan becoming a part of this. You see Justin Fields roll out left on the boot. I don't know who was supposed to be blocking, but it did not work. He gets sacked. All of a sudden, Roshan's a three down back. 
<laughs> and the very next play, right, Roshan does a chip, gets out in the flat, gives Justin a couple extra seconds, gets the ball, moving it downfield. Roshan Johnson's going to be the starting running back on this team. Like this. Yeah. Oh, eventually. I mean, the, the idea, like, if you look at just, like, the splits and, like, when he was in the game and seeing how he handled pass protection, yeah, there's a blitz pickup that he, like, he looked – this is why they drafted him sort of yeah. look. Like, he's going to be – utilized a lot more than he was on Sunday, 29 snaps. Um, but we all saw this coming. All of us who have been looking I at this guy. Three, though. I didn't think third quarter. <laughs> I mean, how bad did it need to get before they ended up doing that? I thought it was shoot. Like I would have thought like earlier in the game because of how poor they were moving the ball through the run game too. Yeah. The second you saw Khalil Mack, it's, it's also to the strengths though. I will say this. I think that's the other thing that irritates me, right? You're in the fourth and one situation uh, and, and you got a six back, back there. Uh, you, you're trying to run Khalil Herbert up the middle when clearly he's a speed back. He's better to the outside. I like, I just, I, I, again, I keep coming back to this and it's not absolving the players. The players have to make plays no matter what. Guess what? Jordan Love has some plays that didn't look good, but he made them, right? The the tight end, like that starts with a fumble. Everything, everybody's like, oh, snap, what's happening? Oh, I got a guy wide open downfield, drops it in. Like you've just got to sometimes go out there and make plays. But the scheme to set this team up just seemed conservative. It seemed inept. It seemed uh, uh, like they weren't ready for the team that they saw on the field. And I think that that kind of goes into what Justin Fields says in the press conference after, right? We hear Justin Fields come out and basically say, listen, I'm sorry, Bears fans. I'm sorry to everybody that came out. Uh, sorry to my teammates. Kind of taking the blame, taking the shot. But realistically, right, this is this is a collective apology that's needed from the Chicago Bears overall. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there, there's not just like one team, one part of the team that carries blame. Like when you walk away from a gang of three bright spots, maybe two and a half, because you and Gakwe look good, but then he just disappeared. And I, and some of that is snap count because what you have to like, you know, that's something with Alan Williams too. Like you got to have guys. Like, this is just like covered good. Going back to like the, that Minnesota thing I brought up, you know, players who can, make sure that they're not, you know, kind of conserving their energy. Guys who have to, like, play, we're not going to go all out every single snap. You have to have smart players who can do that. I'm not saying these guys are not that, but it's a strategy thing versus and these are new guys. So I think he's still working out, like, his, um, you know, his rotation and, and the snap counts for each guy's in games of how we can utilize players who might have that extra gear that they've been holding back. And, you know, granted, when you get your ass kicked from, like, the beginning, it's tough to, like, you know, it's tough. It's just, it's tough. But like Ngakwe was good for the first half. I will say that the only other bright spots on this team were Roshan Johnson and Cairo Santos. So like, if that's the case, then everybody, not just Justin Fields needs to be. And I mean, I don't know how you feel about the apology thing. Like some people like it. Some people think it's stupid, but if we're going to be apologizing, you might as well have everybody doing it at that point. Not just the quarterback. Here's my thing with any apology, right? Fine. You're apologizing. I love it. Cool. Thank you for thinking about us, the Bears fan. Uh, but you know what? Um, I don't believe in. Don't apologize and then not 
and then replay the act, right? That's the number one thing with an apology. If I punch you in the face and then say, my bad, and then I punch you in the face again, guess what? You're not going to think the apology is serious. Guess what? You punched Bears fans in the face, basically. You came out and apologized. Don't go out there and punch us in the face again because there's a lot of and, – and here's the thing. We, the fan base, believed – based on what the Bears told us. That's why this game sucks so much. It has nothing to do with what we were thinking. We were ready to come into the season a little bit calmer, and I think a lot of people did, right? Like, you know, nine and eight, but I can see. Listen, I look on his schedule. I can find 10. I can find 11, eight and nine. But no, oh, Justin Jones, we're going at him. I'm, I'm sick of this. It's finally time for us to take over. Justin Fields, you know, we're all good. We ready. It's because of what y'all said that gets us hyped. Jaquan Brisker going in. I hate the Packers. The wackest I hate the Packers of all time. We'll talk about him as well. But like, 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 listen, if you didn't really think of this as a rivalry game, like the Green Bay Packers clearly did, because Jordan Love came in here to rip your hearts out and did it, then don't sit here and hype it up like it's going to be that, because now that's where I'm looking at the rest of Bears fans, and I get I get why you think that it's all over. I get why you think it's the end of the world because the same things that have happened to us our entire life are happening here again against the team that no matter what, on paper, we should have beat. Yeah, I mean, it's... I know that this is one loss and that's how they view it and they're right. But like, then that puts the pressure on the next game to be must win because they go into Kansas City down 0-2 and they lose that game. They're coming back to play Denver 0-3. Like, that's... That's 14 straight losses. Yeah. But that's dating back to last October. That's demoralizing. And this is the best time to get the – like, I'm not going to lie to you. Listen, the Chiefs, maybe they have it figured out by week three. Maybe they don't. They're working in Chris Jones. Chris Jones – Oh, I think they'll have it figured out. They'll have it figured out as early as this week. I, I, I believe in Andy Reid more than I believe in what we have here. But early in the season is the time where you kind of get teams where they're like, we're still trying to work through these kinks. Uh, 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 with Denver, I mean, Denver looks like a kink. Like, I don't, I don't know what the heck is happening there. At, at least in week one, it was like, oh, no, this still kind of looks like the same. Like, okay, Russell Wilson looked a little better, but like mm -hmm. it didn't look like Sean Payton came in there and just magically fixed everything. Like I think a lot of us were expecting. So as there's opportunity here for the Bears early in the season. You lost one that you should have got. Oftentimes you will win one that you shouldn't have won. We did that last season with the Patriots. We shouldn't have won that Patriots game. We end up dominating that game. You got to find a way to go out there and win one that you shouldn't have won to make up for this one, even though technically you need to. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of issues to get to. Let's jump into this fourth quarter here because the biggest issue for me is somebody that I was excited that the Bears brought over, somebody that I defended uh, when the Bears brought him over, somebody who literally, no matter what we're seeing on the field right now, actually does have all the talent in the world and it has got to be something between the ears. Chase Claypool just doesn't care. <laughs> like, like I, I don't there, – there's one of two camps out there right now. Claypool was pissed off by the scheme that was put in place, and so he didn't want to go out there and run it, which is terrible to be in. Or this guy just doesn't care that yeah. he's here right now and he's not trying – he's trying to play bad to, to basically not get a contract offer here. I don't know. <laughs> I am – when they hand out loafs among their grades, I'm curious how many – and we'll never know, but I'm curious how many Chase Claypool will have gotten because the film that's going around, you can find it on Twitter. People have pointed it out. It's it's not a good look for somebody. He's 
you know, jogging on routes, not finishing blocks. I mean, the Mooney play where he gets, you know, that five foot dude that they have for, um, for green Bay, just like yeah. mauls him because he fights through a block of Claypool. That was like a quasi, I mean, it's just, it's just not a good look. And for somebody who is in such a prove it year. And I mean, Ryan Poles is going to have to like bank on, he's banking on chase Claypool to get it right. So it doesn't make him look like he's made another bad, like another mistake that he's going to have to move on from. I want to ask you this because we haven't gotten to see it. And maybe this is shooting him some slight bail, which he doesn't deserve at all. How did he look in practice? Did he look like he was full go? Did he look like he was full speed or did he look yeah. like the hamstring injury was still no. uh, a nagging? No, at it did not. It did not look like that at all. And they have maintained that since he got back two weeks, you know, two and a half, three weeks ago now that he's been fine. So that's not even an excuse. It's not even an excuse. It's applicable. So it's so I mean that that's because his performance. I mean, it it just had I don't care right. And he he's the main one. And I think that's the part that's the biggest concern here because offensively we saw it at training camp when the defense was doing a lot of chirping. Chase was the one that was firing up the offense. He was the one that was out there yelling back at DBs and getting intense. And they said, hey, we actually got to calm him down sometimes. Mm -hmm. Your two other guys that are your main guys and Justin Fields and DJ Moore, they're just like, hey, we're going to go out here. We're going to play. We're going to make plays. We're going to win the game. They're yeah. not the excitable guys. And according to J-Mac, right, you didn't have anybody on the sideline who was without Chase Claypool out there screaming and yelling. Yeah, it's – I will be very curious to see, like, if that happens again. Are we at, are we at a cut-your-losses point with him? No, no. They, they can't. They won't. They will not. Um, there's no way that they can do that. Like the, the fallout from something like that doesn't send a message to the locker room. I know what Yerko said. I, I understand the intensity of what a move like that would do, but they gave up basically a first round pick for this guy, a yeah, pick that be, a pick that became number 32. They cannot. but if he becomes an offensive liability and this becomes a trend, that's a different conversation, but this this cannot be something that is more than a week one, and there's no excuse for it, but it, it has to stop at week one because when you he's been, he was targeted twice, and whether he was irritated about that and the ball not coming his way and that re reflected the tapes there, people see your body language, people see the lack of hustle, the less that's that's not the hits principle at all. That's like the anti hits principle. So, and you know, to your question about the hamstring, like. There's no way. There's no way because they've been postured. Then it's all BS. If the, if it if we get these, oh man, my hamstring was acting up. Then a, why weren't you on the injury report? And b, for the last two weeks, everything's apparently been fine. You've looked just as good as you did when you came back, or you know when you were there during training camp up until the point you got injured. And we hear you come back and you look just like it. Like it doesn't hold weight. Does not hold weight whatsoever. I mean, it. it I think it just. That game was one of those games where there at the end of the season, none of this can matter. But right now it feels like everything's the biggest thing in the world. And I think right, like even hearing Jaquan Brisker go out there and say that he wishes that the the fans had their back more in that second half. I guess you said that's kind of when the boo birds started to come out yeah. against them and maybe don't boo them so early. Chicago's a city that is built on effort. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I talked with Lance Briggs yesterday on the podcast. Lance Briggs is, is probably the king of hustling to make a play on this Chicago, on, on a recent Chicago Bears defense. 
He had the talent. He he had all of that. But the hustle, he was running nonstop. Mm-hmm. We, he, he, he said the effort on the defensive side of the football didn't exist in the South. No, he's, he's, obviously he would know because – but I think anybody watching that can see. <laughs> oh, I saw it on TV for sure. Like I'm sitting there watching it on the TV and I'm like, it, the team that came out in the second half, which is such a surprise defensively because of how, how they were in training camp and training camp. Like yeah. the defense came out in the second half. Like they didn't finish things off with Yannick and Gakwe coming out with a big sack. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just, I don't understand the mentality and, and I don't get it from Brisker. Like I don't feel no, you, this is a city where you're going to hear it. You don't get to choose when we're happy for you and when we're not. Guess what? If we saw effort the entire time, and I get it, it was on an offensive play where, right, you see more of the same, but we're tired of seeing the same. This game looked like the same things we've been seeing since Matt Nagy year two. Yeah, and it's it's not – this this game inspired no confidence that they are moving in the right direction, of course – you reserve the right to change your opinion if you see a different looking team uh, in Tampa week two, but that's a big if at this point because this is just not like it's just not a good look. I'm, I'm going based off of what we saw last season. I wouldn't be surprised if they go down to Tampa and kick the crap out of Tampa because we saw the Bears make adjustments with no talent last season. Mm-hmm. I think that's the part that irritates Bears fans as well. Why is it now that we have more talent, we're not adjusting at all? When when you had less talent, it was like, hey, we got to make a million adjustments in every game because that that's all the options we have. Yeah, not a great look. But, I mean, hey, if they win this week, a change is the conversation. They're right back in it one and one and they go to Kansas city and you know, the hype train for some people will be right back on. What is the, uh, what is the biggest change that you expect? Let's finish it off here. Biggest change you expect from week one to week two. To DJ season. Moore. DJ Why? Moore is number one for me. Cause I don't know if this pass rush is going to change. Like I really don't, I think that of course that needs to come into uh, the equation, but it's got to be DJ Moore. You have to get him involved, force the ball to him if you have to. Like that, you did not make this trade for him to be a decoy out there. When we're uh, talking about the politics of the game, is that going to be relevant, or are they just going to finally let Roshan be the number one because he looked like the best? He's, I mean, he's tre- he's trending in that direction. Would it surprise me? No, but I think it might take a couple more weeks before they're willing to like. But like. The snap counts tell you everything you need to know. Who's on the field in critical third and fourth down situations, that tells you everything you need to know. It's politics at this point. Like It's just making Khalil Herbert feel good about himself. Because <laughs> he did nothing on the field to say you're the starting running back. But, I mean, there's a lot to blame on this offense. Courtney, we appreciate you coming on for another episode of the podcast, as always. Uh, anything, any, any nugget that you want to leave the audience with that may leave them feeling better heading into Tampa? Well, I was going to say, we're going to find out a little bit more about Kyler Gordon's hand injury. So hopefully on Wednesday that comes out, but just kind of just not going to make people feel better, but just kind of judging off of the, um, the sentiment that we heard yesterday, it sounds like it might be something that keeps them out a little bit. Is it, it's, it can't be, uh, I mean, I don't know you need a lot of hand fighting for that position, but is it something that maybe could be a club put on or? That's a great question. I guess we'll find that out, but I know that Josh Blackwell would, if he ends up having to be in that situation, he, if he ends up having to fill in for Gordon, he's done it before. Um, but again, that doesn't inspire a whole ton of confidence in that back end. I feel you. I feel you on that. Not, not, I, I'm not inspired at all. Hey, uh, follow us on everything at ESPN Chicago. And of course you can follow me on everything at path of designer, Courtney, or at Courtney Cronin. 
Bears fans, we got a long way to go, but it's only week one. Hopefully, things continue to turn around. We'll be back tomorrow. J-Mac on the show. Y'all stay in tune with us, man. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear down. Bear down. Peace. <laughs>